Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. My um, guest today, she's an author. Her name is Jane McClelland. Uh, she's an author of the book called How to Starve Cancer. There's a website for the book also, howtostarvecancer.com. And uh, without you know me making the introduction and kind of messing it up, uh, Jane, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. Yeah. Well, if you wouldn't mind, you know, books like this, definitely the most important thing to start with is the story behind it. So if you wouldn't mind, um, yeah. can you go over the, you know, your background and what led you to okay. write this book? Yeah. Well, I, um, I'm, I'm a physiotherapist by training. And back in, way back in 1994, I was first diagnosed with cervical cancer. Uh, did all the normal conventional treatments. Um, didn't quite realize just how bad it was didn't really cotton on to anything that I could be doing to change the metabolism or change the way things affected the cancer until my mother died of secondary breast cancer in 1996. And this woke me up to the fact that the doctors seemed to be missing the whole metabolic piece of the puzzle. Um, To me, it it was also a wake-up call that the doctors still haven't got the answer for stage four. And at the time, um, the cervical cancer I'd been diagnosed with had spread to all my lymph nodes. Right. Any other type of cancer would be diagnosed as stage three. But this, you know, I knew I was quite close to stage four, but it wasn't until 1999 that I got it in my lungs. I was then stage four. And for that, there is no cure. Mm. Um, and the average, the mean survival for my kind of cancer is about 12 weeks. So it was pretty aggressive. Right. Um, but for me, I'd... Uh, after my mum died in 1996, I had really woken up and had changed my diet. And I think a lot of that had slowed down the metabolism of the cancer. I know you've talked to Travis Christopherson, and he will have mm-hmm. um, gone through a lot of the different metabolic changes that happen in the cancer cell. Now, I, wasn't, I didn't know all of that at the time. Um, obviously, that research has all come out since, and I've done load of research um, Mm. writing the book Um, but uh, I I still persevered with with the diet and stuff and I thought that was enough um, until I got myelodysplasia which is um, a precursor to acute myeloid leukemia and when that starts to develop as a result of therapy and don't forget I'd had all these conventional therapies as well I'd had a huge dose of radiotherapy. I'd had a huge dose of chemo, but it is probably the radiotherapy more than anything to my pelvis, which had really messed up my bone marrow. So this, so this was leading to leukemia, and I knew that if it was related to prior treatment, that it would really mean that I had very limited window to get anything done. And clearly, chemo, more chemo or anything else is not going to help. You know, it would probably just pour fuel onto the fire. So I had to find uh, a different route. And with my medical background, I just did a lot of digging. And when I say a lot of digging, you know, the internet was a fledgling state back then. I didn't have the kind of resources that uh, are available now. Um, And uh, I did a lot of looking through journals and PubMed was kind of all right online. But, you know, it was mostly... Crawling through journals, books, 
um, just trying to glean as much information from, uh, I mean, I actually saw four integrative oncologists uh, to try and pick all their brains. So I was spending quite a lot on supplements and I was, um, obviously I'd altered my diet. I did intravenous vitamin C, uh, which is poo-pooed by a lot of oncologists. They think it doesn't work, but actually there is a huge amount of research, particularly in the last few years that has come through to really support the use of intravenous vitamin C because it has two major effects. And one of them is to block the uh, process of glycolysis. And glycolysis is the alternative um, metabolic pathway that the cancer cell uses. I'm sure Travis would have talked about the um, the Wahlberg effect, which is where the cancer cell stops using the normal pathway right. and uses this glycolytic pathway, which happens in the cytoplasm rather than in the mitochondria. But in fact, what happens with many cancers, and that actually only, the glycolysis is only one of several routes that the cancer can actually use to get its um, food. And my thought back then, very basic, very basic, and I kind of knew that um, I was looking at all sorts of stuff, and I came across research about dipridamol, which is an old antiplatelet drug. Um, so that, to me, was very interesting because it showed that it was a nucleoside transport inhibitor. So that, to me, meant it would stop little chunks of DNA being scooped up by the cell and reused. And actually, this is a process called autophagy, which is kind of like a recycling of, of extra cell. It's stuff, stuff outside the cell. It sort of grabs it in a kind of a, a ruffling of the cell membrane and sort of engulfs it, a bit like white blood cells sort of use this process called phagocytosis. Well, this mm. process is called macro macropinocytosis, and it engulfs the extracellular glutamine uh, all those proteins that it likes to feed on, as well as fat, in fact, because it uses the fat as well. Um, and then um, it can use this to actually fuel itself in a different way. Uh, and a lot of cancers are actually fueled not just by glycolysis, they're actually fueled by supercharged mitochondria. And this is a reverse Wahlberg effect. So there are two main routes that the cancer cell uses. And this has all become very clear to me. I've had many aha moments when I've been writing my book and the research has been phenomenal. <laughs> I've, you know, I've spent years doing this and um, I've come up, I, I've kind of sat back and had this bigger picture of cancer. And my big picture was to have um, a basic premise that the cancer is wily. It behaves like a parasite, but if it can't get the fuel it wants, right. say sugar, it'll rewire itself to get it in a different way. So if it can't use glycolysis, It'll supercharge those mitochondria and use the normal oxphos pathway um, and actually use that to get its fuel and produce its substrates to make its daughter cells. So that's what it's wanting to do is just gather more, create more protein, create more fat to make the, the actual constituents of the cell and the cell membrane, which is predominantly fat. So a new cell will be a protein blob covered in fat. So it's kind of trying to make more proteins and more fat all the time. This is this is its basic thing that it wants to do, double all the time and sort of create, create, create. It's like a factory. So that, that the um, the idea is to put the brakes on that by actually preventing it from getting its fuel. Um, well, to, uh, and to, discovered... to, to break this yeah, down more me. simply, Stop though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry, to break this down more simply. Yes, exactly. So... 
So, so what I did was I, I decided that the um, the cancer just really wanted to use three things. It wants to use um, carbohydrate, fat, and protein. But the carb is obviously the glucose. The protein is um, glutamine, although it does use serine, arginine, asparaginine. There, um, there are various other sort of things that it may use. Um, right. And then fat, it takes up. People don't, um, they kind of ignore the whole fat issue. But the um, low-density lipoprotein uh, receptor, the LDL receptor, is upregulated in cancer. So it sucks up more fat because it, it can actually use this not just, um, and it, it would do this to, um, to fuel itself. And this is in, in, in particular cancers like melanoma and um, prostate cancer. Those two use quite a lot of fat. And, and I've noticed people on the ketogenic diet with those two particular diets do particularly badly, actually. So, I mean, there's a lot of people out there saying the keto diet is the one to follow, but actually mm. I'm a little bit more... Uh, what I'm trying to do in my book is help guide people to which diet will be appropriate for them and also which drugs. Because I've I've done something called a... a I've made... This is a first person to actually produce this kind of map. It's called, I've called it the McKellen Metro Map. And it's okay. just a basic triangle with glucose, protein, and fat on each side. And then I've drawn some pathways. So the, the glucose pathways are things like insulin helps push the glucose in and other nutrients as well. But the GLUT1 is the um, glucose receptor. You've got oxfos on that side, the glycolysis on that side. And all those are sort of sucking up glucose. And if it can't use one route, It'll reroute and come in a different route. I kind of use that as, uh, in my book, I discuss that as, as my Piccadilly Circus analogy. So um, it's a bit like being on the tube. If you can't get to Piccadilly Circus one route, you'll get off, go around the metro a different way, and then get back on a different line, and then come back in a, a, a different way. And this is what cancer does. And it will even use ketones. Um, so, you know, people... It, there are different ketones, and some of these ex exogenous ketones are, are, are okay, but a lot of um, some of the ketones will actually fuel the fire. And this is, you know, and people people are kind of blind to that. Um, but the research is quite clear that it does that. Um, so um, I've, what I've done, though, is I've provided this map, and I've provided neatly all the answers to blocking every single route. So I've kind of come up with the way to actually starve and starve the cancer of all three sides of glucose, protein, and fat. And that includes things like the nucleoside, the nucleoside salvage, glutaminolysis, which is the breakdown of glutamine to use buses fuel. Um, you've got mTOR, uh, which is kind of like a protein enzyme that sort of gathers all the proteins together before the cell divides. Um, IGF-1 is sort of like the growth factor, which helps, you know, all these, all these things are sort of helping to fuel and fan the fire. And it's, it's a matter of getting a, a, a cocktail of not just um, off-label drugs, which is what I did, um, because I use, um, I'll tell you the combination I took. Um, it was diacrylamol, and then I discovered, well, I was already on aspirin, mm. but then I discovered that um, a statin called lovastatin, which is a lipophilic statin, was very good for my type of cancer. I, I, I also discovered it was good for blood cancers as well. Um, so that was uh, yes, please. And then I discovered the combination of a statin and a strong 
a really powerful non-steroidal anti-inflammatory taken at high dose would actually kill off the cancer. So the combination with, of the satin and the non-steroidal was five times more effective than just on its own. Um, so that to me was interesting. And I thought the statin and the diprilamol might be synergistic as well, which in fact they are. And that, that came up in 2014. There was some research to show that actually the diprilamol and statin combination is particularly effective, particularly for blood cancers. So, and I was looking at... Can, um, we, can we take a step back for a minute? Because I, you know, I know that yeah. for your particular stuff, this is the pathway. But So it sounds like each cancer will use different pathways in different variations yeah. and at different levels. So they, well, they, 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 it, that's right. And what I'm trying to do is provide people with the key words, the key things to try and research so they can work out what the key metabolic pathways are for their particular cancer. Because there's, there's over 100 different types of, of cancer. Right. And they all are driven by slightly different things. You know, leukemia behaves in a very different way to the cervical cancer, which is why I was controlling one, but suddenly this leukemia was getting out of control because it's driven actually more by glutamine. Um, and at the time, my cervical cancer was more driven by glucose, but later on, as the cancer advances, it tends to use more of the pathways. It sort of uses three sides of the triangle, not just focus on the sort of more one side. Do you know what I mean? It starts to use more and more as it gets more aggressive, so you need to add more to the cocktail in order to control it. Um, but this is um, this is where, um, in the end, I had used metformin, statin, diprilamol, um, non-steroidal, this is Todelac, and um, I, I'd swap the aspirin for this Todelac, uh, and then later on I used a drug called Cimetidine to try and switch my immune system on, um, because that had been switched off by the chemo and the treatments and the cancer itself actually switches the ability of the cancer cell to recognize itself as being foreign. It's quite so how did, you, how did you know throughout this process that it was working or not? What, what did you, uh, did you have blood drawn all the okay. time or what did um, you do? Yep. Yes, I did. Uh, I, I drove my doctor crazy by asking for, for a blood test all the time. There, there are various markers you can do for one cancer. Um, I, I did my squamous cell carcinoma antigen markers and for the other one um, I did a, a test which is not commonly used but it's called the TM2PK and this shows the level of aerobic glycolysis, this abnormal glycolysis that was going on in the blood um, and, and that was pretty high uh, and then I, I discovered I had a deleted P53 in the blood as well and it was it was just all going out of control I was so fatigued, I was having this, these night sweats um, I, I was in a bit of a mess, really. I thought I thought I was, you know, but this, this was 2003, so we're, we're talking quite a few years ago. Um, but, you know, I, I felt that I was standing at the edge and looking over, and I didn't really have much choice, really. Um, right. So so it was, it, I, I, I sort of guinea-pigged myself back to health. Um, it, was, it only took about seven months uh, but, you know, everything went back to normal. It was phenomenal. But then I had another recurrence the year later. Hmm. And I, I don't. I think the reason was because I hadn't taken my cocktail quite long enough. And that's the thing with these metabolic um, drugs. They do starve the cancer of what it wants, but it takes a bit longer. You get a, it, 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 this is what they're finding with the Care Oncology Clinic, who is kind of 
doing a very similar cocktail to the one I put together. Right. And they started, um, I think, in about 2013, but they didn't really um, have many. I mean, they found it very difficult to recruit any patients, and I only found out about them in 2015. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I'm kind of patient zero. And um, yeah, yeah, so um, okay, so but I don't. I mean, I don't know nearly as much as you, but it seems like uh, since some cancers, maybe all cancers, can jump pathway to pathway, how can you block enough pathways to starve them? I mean, I guess there's only so many pathways, and then how do your normal well, cells is, function is, if you block certain thing. pathways? Well, you know, there are things um, that we can take. Which seem, and the point is that people are quite worried about switching their mitochondria off and things like that. But we do this um, by giving antibiotics. These actually, and doxycycline is particularly good at switching off this excess oxfos that goes on in cancer cells. Um, so uh, it, there, it, it's not as dangerous to sort of switch off. Obviously, if you're going to do it in really high dose, you, you're going to put yourself under. Um, at risk, but the point about these old drugs, they have long safety data and history behind them. So I've I've put down uh, a list and an, an alternative list of not just drugs, but there are also supplements that can be used to block some of these pathways. And you know, a lot of these drugs are very commonly um, used, like the doxycycline and lebendazole is another one, which is an anti-worming drug which you give to to kids. When they have worms, um, and that's very good for various um, aspects of cancer as well. You think so, it's possible so, so to do a, a, You think it's possible to yeah. just diet control cancer, or you have to use this cocktail of drugs to do it? I think diet on its own, you have to be pretty extreme and really be sure you know what it's being driven by. Mm. I think if you get it right with diet, it's probably more by luck than judgment. Um, because, you know, and people do go on the ketogenic diet and they find it helps to start with, but it will rewire up that, that pathway and become more aggressive um, if you're not blocking that side too. So you've got to understand what you need to take on top of the ketogenic diet. And one of the things that um, I discovered back in 1999, I didn't realize quite how brilliant it was, but I had it. You know, pretty good idea from the research that I'd found that it, it blocked various things, including inflammation, um, and it helped with dust as well. But this this um, supplement is berberine, but the I actually took it in a tincture. In um, it was called Mahonia aquifolium, which is a kind of plant which has all of these constituents: berberine, berberine, noxicamphene, and all of them have these this anti-cancer potential, anti-inflammatory potential, and it seemed to be a, a complete no-brainer to me, but actually that, that can really help. If you're on a ketogenic diet, the berberine can really help um, prevent the cancer from going up that acetate pathway, which is um, a ketone pathway. Okay. Um, so just to put it in um, in very basic layman's terms, so cancers, they'll, yes. they'll be sugar-loving, um, what else will they prefer? You know, if you, again, without using um, names of various uh, compounds, you know, scientific names. What are we just yeah. had to explain it to someone that really knew nothing? So what, three things. Okay, right. So just essentially, your diet is made up of three things: protein, mm -hmm. fat, and carbs. Right. Okay. Protein, fat, carbs. Those are the three macros in your diet. 
and the cancer will use one of those three. Or no, it'll use more than one of those three. Um, if it uses glucose, it'll probably use a bit of glutamine as well. And all cancers will take up fat. Okay, they use they take it up through the fatty acid oxidation pathway, and then they break it up. They break it up um, and use glucose and uh, to use glucose and glutamine to um, to produce its energy to to go ahead and produce these new daughter cells. So it's it's essentially all three: glucose mm. and this protein called glutamine. And glutamine is the most abundant amino acid in the body. So it's quite a difficult thing to try and starve. And I, I you know, the Professor Seafried actually uses a direct glutamine inhibitor, which I think is quite. To me, I, I just worry about the side effects of that. I mean, it was tested back in the 80s and was found to be uh, pretty toxic. People had terrible side effects with their gut and their brain. And uh, So for me, I think that's too direct a hit. I think you can block it with various other um, ways. So I, I go through glutaminase inhibitors and, you know, various different other ways to sort of do a more gentle approach. And the, the diprinamol actually helps stop this um, protein uptake as well. So it's just a matter of adding the right cocktail together, which is important for any ca um, cancer. And we do this with HIV, of course. We have a cocktail of things, but we are very limited with what we give cancer patients. And this is all as a result of how the pharmaceutical companies have set themselves up. So they just test one drug at a time. And that's kind of how they want to know that it works. If you test everything in a cocktail, then how do you know what it is that's actually worked? Right. So we've kind of um, we've kind of shot ourselves in the foot by using this particular format of testing cancer drugs because it only leads to one drug being available at a time. So they they eventually are starting to use more cocktails, but it's taking too long. You know, until we get the right cocktail, it's going to take another probably fifteen years before they they can't finally come up with something viable, whereas I've actually got a cocktail that you could probably work out yourself if you actually went through the different mm. metabolic um, phenotype. That's what it's called, the metabolic phenotype, and that's what you have to type in for your particular cancer, and then work out by using my map, you then work out which of those are sort of the most um, fired up, and then you work out, and then the answers are just there. I've got them in the book. Well, that's, so, that's amazing. Uh, um, Again, how do you um, how do you starve the cancer but yet leave your normal cells intact? You know, how does that happen? Well, if, if, is, if, yeah, well, this is because the cancer will want to. It, it behaves like a parasite. It's very greedy, but your body will actually. It, so, so as soon as you've eaten, um, if you have a high level of, uh, of glucose release after your meal, it'll snaffle up the glucose but the rest will go to the body so what you want is a, a lower release of glucose so it actually goes to your tissues and in fact if you do a bit of exercise um, you wait 15-20 minutes after uh, a meal and then do some exercise it'll pull it into the muscles and places that actually need the energy rather than going to the cancer and this is all about timing with exercise I think that's pretty key there are certain aspects about exercise which are important with cancer um, but I think for starving it, it's the timing that is particularly critical for um, helping to remove the glucose from the system and, and direct it to, to places that need it most. Okay. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, but that's the glucose pathway, the glutamine pathway. You said that um, you thought perhaps uh, Dama Seyfried's method was extreme or too extreme and that you found an alternative way to yeah, do it. What, what is the method yeah. that, uh, or the drug that he recommends and what do you recommend in contrast? Well, actually, um, he, he also used, Seyfried also used, like to use green tea and chloroquine. And these both work on the glutamine side, actually. Um, chloroquine, although it works on the lysosome, which is sort of a, the autophagy part, which is a bit like the thyprotamol, um, but the, they work in different ways. Um, so chloroquine will also have a small effect on the glutamine as well. And green tea has an effect on um, part of one of the glutamine pathways. So he likes that, but I've, I've got several other options in my in my list. Um, mm. And one of the, one of them, and which we don't exploit enough, is a drug that's used in leukemia for kids. Now, one of the one of the um, cancers that is touted as curable is ALL, uh, which is a childhood leukemia. And the reason that that is curable is because they use something called asparaginase, and asparaginase stops the uptake of glutamine. So it starves the cancer. And that is, and it's a metabolic drug. It isn't, you know, it's been counted down as a chemo and it's confused people into thinking that this is all a genetic side. It isn't. Mm. Um, the asparaginase is actually a metabolic drug that starves the cancer. And that's why it's curable. Now, if we started using the, um, some of these things that stop the glutamine uptake in more cancers, we would find we would be curing far more. So this is uh, the answer and the key. Every time I look at somebody who's cured, unusually cured their cancer, they've done it either by starving the cancer through a very extreme diet or they've done it as a cocktail with um, some supplements or they've done it as a co- uh, you know, using these off-label drugs and the other way is with exercise. I mean, those are my four pillars of starving cancer, which I talk about in the book. But that's the best ways to combine. Do you think there's... Um... Do you think there's any cancer that is not curable through one of these methods? Say again, sorry. I'm do you, oh, do you think there is any cancer out there that is not curable uh, to any uh, through all of these methods, the right combination of them? They are getting extremely good results for glioblastomas. They've got two people into remission um, at the Care Oncology Clinic so far. And it's the, the point is that people are starting to go there earlier. They're not waiting until they're really end of the line where it gets, you know, the, the greater the tumor burden, the harder it is to treat. So the, mm-hmm. the sooner you get there, the better. Um, and I've also got a, a stage four pancreatic cancer patient on my site who is in full remission. Really? Now he did it, um, and I, I suggested this macropinocytosis pathway, which is what chloroquine uh, blocks. I suggest this in my book, and blow me, because I knew that was the, the, the path, the really big pathway that pancreatic cancer uses. So I, I'd been searching, and then this guy popped up. He's a doctor in America um, called Dr. Stephen Bigelson, and um, he did it. He used quite high doses of chloroquine but he uh, and, and intravenous vitamin C uh, to block the glycolysis, um, but he starved his cancer, and he, he recovered from stage four pancre- pancreatic cancer. Wow. So I think, I think there is no cancer out there that won't respond unless you've got organ damage, which is beyond repair. You know, if you've let it, if if it's progressed to the point of of no return, then it's no return. But um, as long as you haven't got that far, I think pretty much every cancer at stage four has the uh, opportunity and the ability to be reversed. 
The, you know, the, um, I can see though the problem, you know, I'm not in your situation, but I can see the, the problem, you know, if you're diagnosed with cancer, it's such a scary thing. It like melts your face off, you know? Um, and then yeah. you're afraid, you're afraid for your life. And it, you know, you, you, you feel like you have yeah. to do these the traditional treatments. You know? Yeah. The first thing you do is run to your oncologist who is going to dismiss any metabolic approach right. because they're not taught it. They have no idea about the metabolic approach unless, you know, and, and unless they have done some research on their own and very few oncologists have the time to do that. They, whisked away to conferences and all sorts of things where they have they're blinded by the science of the new drugs they're not going to be looking at some of the old drugs in the way that they are very effective in blocking these pathways so unfortunately the setup of, of how we have the medical uh, and the pharma structure at the moment is not conducive to sort of working towards a, a cocktail approach but, you know, it's, it's been a fascinating journey for me, having kind of worked out this triangle for myself, a very basic one, where I was just doing the fat, the protein, and the carbs um, on my own, just that, I thought, aha, that works. And then I've sort of worked out more and more pathways. I've tried to work which side of the triangle they, they fall on, but, you know, and then just work out what would block that. I've done so much research, and it kind of all just fit, you know, just slotted into place, and I thought, this is the crux of it. Mm. This is this is how we can really get to the root of the cancer. It'll take longer, and it's not a quick fix cure, but then we don't get cancer overnight anyway. It's something that happens slowly, and everybody's in such a rush and a panic to get rid of the darn thing. Right. You know, they forget that actually you can live quite happily with a large tumor, and many people do. You know, I know several people who've had large tumors sitting there for several years, and they've lived very happily with this parasitic lump just sitting there inside them. Well, what, but they managed to keep it under control. What do, what do people do, though, because there's a lot of pressure for them to do the traditional therapies? Do they, you know, I mean, you can't say don't do it, but can you still make this work with those therapies and then just monitor and, and cut them off sooner, or what do you do? Well, the, the, the moment would be kind of cocktails that we're offered, which are frankly, they aren't cocktails. You know, they'll tell you, oh, you can have a cocktail of chemo. That's only attacking the fast dividing cell. It's not really attacking the metabolism. Right. right. Not really blocking off the cancer stem cell. You, that's always left behind. And that's the reason that cancer comes back is because they're not attacking the stem cell, which divides much slower. But it's the sneaky little one that contains the ability to morph and change its metabolic approach. So it's like the underground system, okay? On the surface of Piccadilly, you've got people milling around, going on buses and everything. That's kind of like the genetics right. on the top. Could be anything. It can go in any kind of direction. But underneath is the metabolic pathways, and these are very limited, you know? Mm. Um, some people call it metabolic flexibility. Some people, because it's limited, call it metabolic inflexibility. So you block those pathways, and suddenly it's got nowhere to go. So that's, that's what starts it, and that is the key. Um, but on the top, you've got all this mishmash going on, as a, and that's what you see with, with you know, looking at a cancer cell and what they first saw with all these mutations and, and everybody popped on stuff. But that's the last thing that happens down the line. The genetics are the last thing, and the fast dividing cell is kind of after you've gone through uh, a series of events that have, have led up to that, and the metabolics. Um, the metabolic changes come, well, I've got five hallmarks 
in my cancer is a sort of a progression of how the cancer actually progresses from altered um, altered abnormal cell signaling through to abnormal metabolism to um, abnormal growth factors, and then you get an abnormal immune system, and then you get the fast dividing cell. And, and it's kind of a sequence of events, and I try to make it much more simple in my experience. It might seem like it isn't, but it really is. But cancer to most people seems very complicated, and people struggle with it badly. And I've used several analogies in my book to try and simplify how it works. And, and my purpose is one of them. I have the Great Fire of London analogy, mm. which is another. Um, and then I've got a Battle of Plataea, which is an ancient battle that happened um, BC. And the Spartans were trying to take this Athenian town, and they couldn't because it was so well defended. And this is like the cancer cell, and it just, you know, didn't matter. They were using all these big weapons and trying to knock it down. Didn't work. Eventually, they just surrounded the the city for two years, starved them out, and then poof, they just uh, executed all the uh, inhabitants one by one as they came out because they they were just weak. Mm. And this is the same approach that we need to. To use with cancer we're doing it all the wrong way we're using all the big weapons first using up all our our resources and then you know the body's got nothing left to give mm, we've wrecked right. the immune system you know so, so but we could be using everything together in a much better more intelligent way if we actually use lower doses of chemo and by lower i mean much lower doses of chemo because actually it can stimulate the immune system at very low doses people don't realize that mm. but if you just to pulse very low doses of chemo it actually has a stimulatory effect on the immune system completely different to the high doses so we just need to have a a, a mental flip of the way that we are currently treating and i've tried to express that in my book because i, I really feel we need a fundamental shift in what we're doing it's it's completely back to front if you ask me i agree with you i just I, I keep going back to the mindset of someone that, um, you know, that has cancer. Yeah, like, problem. like here's, yeah. here's the, and how do you stop them? <laughs> well, here's, right, here's, here's, the, book, yeah, here's I the mindset. I wish I could hand it out to everybody and right. get them to read it before they get cancer, because that would be key so that they're forewarned and they know about this stuff before they get cancer, because they will just head off down the traditional route and just wreck their bodies during the usual stuff. Um, and it's very hard as a cancer patient to, to be thrown into a situation you really don't understand. Most people don't understand about cancer. It, it seems to be so complex. But I've kind of provided this route map, which does simplify it. I mean, most people, I say to people, don't worry if you don't understand what mesalinate pathway means or the fatty acid synthesis or the ATP citric lyase. You know, it doesn't matter. What you need to know is those are pathways that will be upregulated, you can look up and see if they are in your cancer, and here are the answers for how to block it. Mm. So it's um, it's kind of like a step-by-step guide to, to you know, the, the dummy's guide to starving cancer. Right, right. All right, well, so, so yeah. uh, the resources, you know, let's give people some resources. You've given them a lot, tons of stuff for them to look up, but let's be, like, very specific yeah. now. So. Um, okay. They can go to is the first step to get your book, or what is what you know? Someone says yeah, someone well, listening to this yeah. has cancer. What do they do? What are yeah. the steps that you recommend? Yeah, I think that, yeah, 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 definitely. I've 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 got about ten steps at the front of my book, um, and the first one is really to join my revolution on Facebook. I have 
a uh, very uh, active Facebook page with lots of knowledgeable people on there, lots of people you might recognize as the sort of who's who of, of cancer. And they're on the site as well. It's called Jane McClelland Off-Label Drugs. Oh, say that again. It's called Jane McClelland Off-Label Drugs for Cancer. Mm-hmm. And on there, you've got um, uh, all sorts of information about lots of different drugs. So not just the ones I mentioned in my book, but I, I do. what I've done is I've honed down what I think are the most effective ones in the book. Okay. Um, but... But there, there are other drugs. You know, some people can't tolerate statins. Some people can't, you know, they don't like to take high-dose uh, non-steroidals. So I have um, different things on there. So join my Facebook group. That's free. It's easy. You get on there. You see how other people are doing on these things as well. So you, you get yourself educated. You get yourself armed, forearmed with some of this stuff. And a lot of people felt a little bit overwhelmed to start with on the site but then when they read my book they went wow it all makes sense now and they can understand what i'm talking about mm. sometimes i get a bit lost you know with some of the terminology that i use them and i try and keep it as simple as possible but you know it's it's um it, it's simple once you actually understand the basic principles of how cancer starts and how it progresses so um really read my book because it sounds like it's complicated. It really isn't. I've really simplified it with all these analogies. And my story is quite, uh, it's, you know, people say it's a page turner. So Mm. I really hope that it's something that even if you don't like part two, the part one will make you realize there is so much more out there that you could be doing. And just going the traditional route is not getting this cancer stem cell. It's only getting the fast dividing cell, leaving the tricky little thing behind that's actually going to take root and come back again. And that's the key. It's actually get get that cancer stem cell. And your book, um, it's available where? Amazon? Where else? Yes, it's available at Amazon. And you, you can get it in bookshops. They're a bit slow, unfortunately, because I am a somebody who is not an established person and not an established author, and it seemed to be an idea that was too risky for the mainstream publishers, I had to self-publish. So currently, um, you can get it through, if you click on my website, I'll probably put a special offer up there for people, and um, so you can get it direct from me. So that's on howtostarvecancer.com. Um, and I will also, it's also available through Amazon. But, you know, do ask in your bookshops. I'd love it to be in the bookshops. They're so tricky with anything that's not, you know, mm. traditional. But um, uh, it's, it's doing really, really well. It's been number one bestseller in oncology in the UK. And sales are really starting to pick up now in the US. And I'm really pleased about that because it, it's, it's gradually growing. As people are starting to say, wow. Look at me, I've, my oncologist is gobsmacked. They don't understand how I've survived. They don't believe it. And I'm mm. doing all these off-label drugs and, and they're, they're, you know, mentioning me and saying, read this book. And the, the word is spreading slowly, yeah. but it's taking a while. And um, I'm hoping that uh, all my research and everything will be taken seriously. But, but it's all referenced with PubMed articles, with, you know, everything is backed up. Um, right. So, okay. you know, it's it's important. I think science-based med- medicine is, is critically important. I've been um, properly professionally trained to think in that way, that the evidence has to be there. I have to see proper evidence before I actually do anything. And um, that's that's the... I, I've got it, probably about 400 to 500 references in the book. 
Wow. All right. Well, very good. Well, Jane, so, uh, you know, I appreciate you coming on. This is uh, super serious, but super important and useful stuff for, you know, yeah, countless hope. people. That's so. the thing. Yeah. That's, there is enormous hope out there. And I think people need to realize that it's, it's not a, a, a death sentence that they, they seem to think it is at stage four. They've got completely the wrong, the wrong approach, but yeah. um, I'm, you know, I, I've now got some oncologists in the UK actually recommending my book nice. patients, which is is just the most phenomenal thing. <laughs> I'm so pleased. So um, the revolution is starting, but it's it's a trickle at the moment. But I'm hoping it's going to become a tidal wave. Well, very good. You have been listening to Almost Here Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. 